All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. If you haven't been here before, it's nice to uh, nice to have you. Just hang out, sit down with the rest of them. Try not to be too chatty uh, until you get the hang of things. Just uh, you know, listen for things that you relate to. Uh, you know, don't uh, don't don't have expectations. Don't read into much. Just hang out, man. We're gonna hang out. Greg Proops is here today. We're gonna hang out with Greg Proops. Does that mean anything to you? It should. He's a smart fella. I've known him for years, have not seen him in a long time. When I moved to San Francisco back in the day, fuck, when was that? 92 or something? There was this crew of us that somehow ended up in San Francisco at the same time as me and Patton Oswalt, Blaine Kapach. And a lot of their scene had sort of gone to L.A., but Proops was around. Proops was a, a, a he was a, a solid dug in up there in the Bay Area. I'd met him once before, and I didn't even bring this up to him because I was kind of dickish to him the first time I met him. It was actually, it was in New York City. It must have been in the late 80s. Could have been early, early 90s. All I know is that the old improv up on 44th Street, I was at the Westway Diner where we used to hang out, me and Vitaly, maybe Atel, whoever was around. But I remember it was me and Vitaly who just passed away, rest in peace. And Proops was in town and somehow ended up there and somehow ended up at our table at our booth. And this was before I'd gone to San Francisco. It was before I knew anything about him other than I believed that he was dressing like Tom Kenny. Like that would fucking matter to anybody with the Buddy Holly glasses and the pompadour. And I I was just such a dick. I was just sort of like, yeah, you know, you know, Tom Kenny, because I knew Tom Kenny was in in in, uh, San Francisco and he'd moved out there. Bobcat, Tomcat. We're buddies from upstate New York. Tom Kenny, of course, went on to be the voice of uh, uh, SpongeBob. But he was just a comic, but he had that look. He had that kind of pompadour, horn rim look. And I was like, so uh, basically, I was like, you're doing the Tom Kenny thing, huh? Is that what you're up to? No idea what kind of comedy did nothing. Just looked at him and busted his balls over the way he looked because I was a cock. How you guys doing? But, but Proops is here. Me and Proops talk about, we talk about some shit. There was a coyote in my yard yesterday, sleeping. What does that mean? It's weird how people think about stuff like that. Coyote in my yard, just hanging out. Was here a couple days ago. I think he's eyeballing Buster and Sammy uh, in the catio. Trying to figure out whether or not he can get in there. Maybe. But then yesterday he was just sleeping on my yard. Cleaned up his shit day before yesterday i think it's a female coyote just hanging out i posted an instagram video of it hundreds of people with big ideas everyone's a goddamn detective everyone's a goddamn uh animal biologist everybody's a veterinarian everybody understands what's going on everybody knows it's sick man it has to be sick watch out there's a uh distemper going around up here in northern california don't touch it you'll 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 fucking give it to your cats very contagious there's something wrong with it. It's a sign, man. It could be a good sign. It could be a bad sign. Usually it's good. It means it's there's going to be big change in your life. Watch out. It's the trickster. You may not know what wisdom it imparts or what it means because the coyote is the trickster. But it does mean something. Dude, that's so cool. You got a coyote in your yard. 
Be careful. It shouldn't be there. Jesus Christ. Everyone's got the answers. It's a fucking big problem, isn't it? So me and Proops get into it. You know, it's uh, get into it on, on a few levels. We, you know, we talk about what I've been talking about here a lot, you know. Just what is happening to comedy. And, you know, Greg and I deal with it personally, politically, implications of uh, societal implications on the culture. A lot of what I've been talking about, this sort of tribalization of comedy. This idea, the co-opting of the philosopher king comedian model or the rebel truth-telling comedian model that was once uh, only applied to maybe four comics. You know who they are. There was a generation of comics in the 50s and some in the 60s. You can count them on one hand. You know, you're talking Lenny, Bruce. You're talking, you know, Pryor in a different way. You're talking people like... uh, Godfrey Cambridge, Dick Gregory, talking people like um, Carlin later, but still Hicks, handful. But the right and the, you know, quote unquote, free thinker crowd, the uh, people with dumpster fires in their brains with all the answers and a lot of labels, woke, commie, socialist, big pharma, a lot of labels for people minimizers free thinkers who all think the same thing and have leaders and some of them are comics and some comics present themselves as revolutionary voices but they're truly hack cowards there's no vulnerability in it lack of respect for marginalized voices for people already under the pressure the goal should be to bring us all together i can't say that i can do it and i can't say that i necessarily even joke in that way But the world is on fire. Things are at risk. Why are we running around hurting people? And I don't know, the more I think about it, like, you know, what happened to alternative comedy? Was there a point of view there? Was there some sort of momentum that, I use that word momentum a lot. Was there some sort of uh, collective community that was uh, obviously more embracing in a way, but did it have a point of view? But I just wanted to engage uh, somebody who's thinking about things in the area that I am. Not in the area of people that collect bullshit that justifies their own victimization through their deep well of grievances that probably are attached to something that they refuse to resolve or see in themselves and then join forces with other people with similar backpacks full of bullshit Sometimes ammunition, sometimes AR-15s, and sort of justify themselves as victims, cultural victims, political victims, based on nothing but the need to feel aggrieved. But make no mistake, that, that way of thinking, once it, you know, somebody decides, or once it's enabled can lead to genocidal movements. It's happened before. So how are some comedians getting those people focused? (laughs) Anyway, this is me and Greg talking. He's got a new album out, Greg Proops in the City. You can get it at gregproops.com or wherever you get music. 
and uh, it was it was great to see him. What do you mean you're off everything? No weed? Yeah, I'm, Come I'm on. No, for real. I'm not. I'm not. What? Uh, what is this? I know, right? Yeah, I quit drinking like in July last year because I was during the plague. I was really getting it on. You know. Really? So you know. That, that's how you went. Well, I. Yeah, uh, I was uh, frustrated and sad, and you know, uh, scared. Has the scared come into it? Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and no gigs, you know, so uh, yeah. no outlet for my uh, yeah. shallowness, and yeah. uh, worried that no one would ever like me every thirty seconds again. And uh, wow, yeah, it comes that quickly, huh? Oh, dude, and so <laughs> I was doing a podcast at the crib. You know, we're doing Zoom shows and yeah, shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which yeah. is like watching uh, it's sex through a glass. Yeah, yeah, it's just, just horrible. Just worst. And, yeah, uh, and I put away a good the amount and yeah i got up the next day to clean the house with jennifer and i just said to her you know i think i'm done like yeah but the weed was like you know that was like uh, that was just sort of like vegetables it was not oh just, no right it's how i lived it's, uh, you know i i'm uh, it's not a, uh that's i can't really any, i don't know i just uh yeah I was it that once it was legalized, you lost interest. Well, right, like it's like gay marriage for my old, for the old gay people from San Francisco. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. once it became unclandestine, it wasn't cool anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I just you know. I don't know. How did it feel for the? Was there a fog lifted or did it, did it change? Not really. I mean, you know, I I function fairly well on weed. It was I know a, you're always one of those guys. I never quite understood it. Like, if there's any example, you're like the Keith Richards of weed. Yeah, right? I mean, I still smoke it sometimes. I didn't, like, cut it out altogether. Right. Yeah, I'm on the road with the Who's Line guys, and, uh, you know, for uh, before the plague, yeah, I was getting high pretty much before every show, and then when we came back from the plague, I didn't, and I felt like a lot, you know, cool. I didn't know if I felt funnier, but it reminds me of a story that, uh, who was it, Artie Shaw, the old band leader? Yeah. He said there's a couple <laughs> horn players <laughs> yeah. in his band, and uh, they were always smoking weed, or what do they call it in those days, gauge or whatever, yeah, yeah, muggles. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, uh, why yeah. are you guys are getting high before the show, you know? And they go, well, we really like to blow, you know, Artie, that like a creative, it yeah. frees us up. Sure. And he goes, all right, all right, like tonight at the break, um, I want to get high with you, you know? And they're like, what? And he's like, no, come on. So he goes, we go outside, and, and this is the 40s. We, go, yeah. we smoke a couple bombs. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, we go on stage uh, after uh, the break, and, yeah. and he goes, I'm blowing my brains out, right? Yeah. And, uh, I, I, and they come up to me after the show, the two horn players, and they go, y you were right. <laughs> It, it didn't make you any better. So, uh, I, I, not that that story's resonated with me, but I just thought I'm having a lot more fun now on stage uh, because of it. And uh, more I mean, you know, when I did the present, maybe, huh? More present. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like I remember before I quit, it was just sort of a daily thing. Mm. I went to visit a dying aunt, an old aunt who was like, you know, near death. Yeah. And and had that sort of strange fragility and and you know uh, almost mind reading type of perception. Yeah. And she said, uh, "What's wrong with Mark? He looks haunted." Oh. And I'm like, "Not time to pull back on the weed." Yeah. Things had crawled in. Yeah. I was wide open, and you know, you you get detached. I would just get. You don't know you're if you're high or not. And I and I, I don't guess that matters to some people, but it kind of matters. Yeah. You know, I found myself like someone's a, a, a doctor said to me once. Uh, it's like an old friend. Yeah. You, you can't cut it loose, you know. Yeah. And then now I found like that I've mostly cut it loose. That I, I I don't I don't miss it all the time. I do miss it sometimes, but also. Uh, 
as the older I get, like the less I want to be uh, high when I'm driving or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Whereas in my teens and twenties, I didn't care. Yeah, because you know? you're like, you know, I could pull it off. Right, I'm immortal. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it's not so much that mortality's looming as uh, much as a. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't go to meetings or anything like that, and I wouldn't proselytize. But everybody knows me as someone who is an inebriate, so yeah. I, I might as well come clean and say that I'm not inebriating as much. And uh, yeah, and you seem uh, chipper. You don't seem. Uh, do, uh, do you find? Um, Let's see. Were you getting? Uh, were you getting angry? I, you know, the frustration and and the uh, uh, um, the pain yeah. and trying to booze it away yeah. wasn't really happening for me. I was much more concerned about the booze because the the drink does nothing for your personality. Like you think you're what was the Towns Van Zant line? I went to the party and I bubbled. You know, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> you're, yeah. I'm not actually as charming as I thought I What's was. It, well, his, whose line is that? Is it like uh, the uh, when you do cocaine, you do it off a mirror so you can see what an asshole you are? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Or was it Jimmy Tingle? I right? can't remember. I don't Fortunately remember. for me, I was never very cokey, as you know. It yeah. was always booze and pot yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the rudiments yeah. of the Bay Area, you know. I mean, because booze and pot were everything and where I grew up in San Carlos. And, um, uh, that where was, is that? It's about 30 miles south of San Francisco. Turn left at 1990. Yeah. And... Um, the widest place on earth um it's in between san mateo and Redwood city if that yeah. helps orient you yeah, at yeah. all which it doesn't uh and uh i grew up there and uh um and then the peninsula yeah and by the time you get to high school there it was really a thing to it, it, this is the 70s you know sure. we're, we're reasonably close you, to the same age you're a little older i'm 58 yeah were you about 62 yeah and uh so yeah like i graduated in 77 so the class before me was the bicentennial class, and they had horrible red, white, and blue tassels on their, um, <laughs> yeah. which even then I thought was lame. Like yeah. what the what the yeah. bicentennial We're buying into it, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, but it was a big deal to get high, and and in those days, you know, beer, yeah, right, booze, and, and there was some speed around. Oh yeah, no, well, right. I, obviously, there was methamphetamine in those days. Was we call crank? Yes, yes. Thank you. That yellow, that crumbly me. biker crank. Yes, and it smelled like yeah. produce from the bottom of a of a you know like a, one of those <laughs> yeah. when you'd open up a lettuce crate at, yeah. when you worked in a restaurant. That's what it always smelled like, and it made your eyes burn and your head explode yeah, and your yeah. nose hurt, run. Hurt. But uh, have you been to San Francisco lately? I, New Year's was the last time I was there. It, it looks like the bottom fell out. Oh, I know, right? Dude, it's like, it's 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 crazy. Yeah. I mean, it really, like, it feels like an uh, uh, an anchorless, chaotic shit show up there. It's pretty wild. I mean, like, you know, the, the amount of uh, poverty in a place that wealthy really goes to that medieval thing, you know, yeah. where you know that, oh my God, they're building these giant stadiums and they're doing this and, yeah. and there's Apple and uh, Facebook and blah, blah, blah. And then there's like literally block after block of Calcutta-like hideousness. Totally. I mean, I guess it's scary, but it definitely feels like New York must have felt in the 70s. Just sort of like- right. Almost like bombed out. What is uh, what is Alexander, was it uh, William Blake? The yeah. dog starved at the master's gate predicts the ruin of the state. That's all I can think of. Like, you let, <laughs> you let people starve in the street yes. and you're saying that you don't care anymore as yeah. a society. You've right. thrown in the towel. And then all these people who like give money to these giant charities, which I am always suspicious of giant charities yeah. because to me they seem like money laundering operations. Well, or, or at least, you know, their operating budgets uh, yeah. uh, can be, uh, there's a lot of wiggle room. Uh, you, you, to be, to be uh, generous, <laughs> I mean, 
and you know, you'll go. I've been I've been to charities, and I'm sure you have too. Sure. Where you're flown on like a jet or something, yeah, or you're yeah. put up at a big hotel, or you're yeah. given a, all this treatment. Whose and you're jet like, is this? This money could have yeah. gone to the thing that we're sure, doing, and sure. you could have put yeah. me in a wagon. Yeah, but this is Mr. Rideoff's jet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Who <laughs> start coughing? Um, yeah. So th- that part is uh, dastardly. I still love the Bay Area, and I love San Francisco. And I, you know, I, Jennifer and I have a soft spot for white people heaven, Marin. You know, yeah. Where uh, West Marin, especially, it's so beautiful, and it's like a fantasy land. Yeah. So I really, I love that. I haven't been up there in a long time. I'm fixing to go up again, but I've been on holiday because. Um, since the uh, you know since we've been able to go on the road yeah. again like in the autumn yeah i've been on the road yeah so, me too yeah i've just been hammering right? since i got that uh, the first uh, the second shot yeah i think that's when it was like let's go exactly the and then everyone shot. got covid yeah and then everyone got covid <laughs> have you had it i haven't had it I've i got not, you know, the uh, i'm not got, supposed to knock wood my friend told me not to knock wood. oh i got it yeah i got it after my third shot i got oh I, no. and, I, and i got covid yeah i had the fourth one in minneapolis while i was on the Is it road better there Huh? Is it better there? Yeah, I thought so. I thought that it was funkier, and uh, there was a, a kind of a million lakes. How many lakes do they have? A lot. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Do were you? Are you doing solo stand up, or is this with the? the no, bunch, it's with the group. The I haven't done stand up in ages. Um, only, and not because I don't want to. It's because. Um, when was this album recorded? Uh, New Year's. I, okay. I did the punchline at New Year's, and um, it's still the same. You know, the uh, air conditioning sporadic. But I think I, you know, like with you, uh, or, I mean, we like to think at this late ass point. Uh, I think I get mostly people who want to see me, particularly on New Year's Eve, because it's an occasion. But yeah, and do you like? But isn't it interesting? Like I've seen, I found myself leveling off now. Fortunately, that my audience is you know primarily kind of aggravated middle aged women. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, people that are roughly in my age group and, right. the, and the young people that like me are the exact same kind of young people that I would have liked me. Yeah. You know, like the the kind of like, you know, a uh, little smart, a little sensitive, a little aggravated, probably creative yeah. and, and don't really fit in. There's a few of them, but it, I'm grateful for all of them. Oh, sure. But I mean, I don't know, like I... I there's part of me that I know I'm still discoverable, but I don't know who I got to reach. You right? Know, like who who goes out and does this shit anymore? And, and right? And where? Where yeah. do you go? Uh, you've you've covered social media. You've had a yeah. a giant successful podcast for a hundred years. I mean, there's what other ways are you supposed to? Your, <laughs> well, since two thousand nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like what? Like over the pandemic. Here's what I I'm trying to figure out, and maybe. You know, maybe you can help me figure it out on some level. Is that uh, did did uh, whatever we represented in comedy, mm. like because I, I I consider us uh, on the same spectrum. I do too. We're did, oh, my uh, our generation, but also uh, point of view wise. Yes. Did we lose? I don't know. I think I think so. Uh, I, I think there's a certain. Uh, maybe we lost a lot of yardage. Let me put it that way. We're we're not uh, on the on the in the red. Uh, we're not in the uh, the ten yard. But can you track it back? Because like right now, you know, I understand comics and it seems like that a lot of the spirit of the people that we respected has been co-opted by, you know, dum-dums who stand for very little that that is progressive. Yep. Uh, so like the entire sort of like, uh, you know, against cancel culture and uh, pro freedom of speech thing is, is very limited. And it's not uh, it, it is has been taken from the progressive 
agenda mm-hmm. and sort of reframed by yeah. a bunch of comics who have a fan base that are not necessarily comedy fans, but are they need to know what to do with their hands uh-huh. and they need a leader. So now you have this weird momentum of, of a group of, of comedy fans, in quotes, comics who are easily co-opted by, by right-wing momentum. Yep. Then they may not know that, but that's what's happening. So what happened to us? That's the good question. I'd like to think that we're still fighting the good fight and that there's lots of people who still respond to us. And it takes me back to something that when I first started going out with my wife in uh, 1948, we, she said to me, it's hard for me to get anyone cool to come see you because of the way they think of stand-up comedy. And this is when the early 80s, when we were sure. getting going. And because if you remember, when we started in the early 80s, uh, there was a lot of douchebag male comics. I was in the. I started legit in the later eighties. No, late, so, right? okay. So, like, because when I started, I would say, you know, I won that contest in '88. Oh, and that's okay. when I started working in comedy. You know, I probably right. started doing it in '86 okay. and a little bit in college here and there. Right. But so, so you're talking about the beginning of that boom. You know, oh, yeah. Uh, you know the the sort or even the middle of it that you always heard about when when by the time I started, they it was over right yeah the, uh, you mean when there was a thousand rooms every night and you could and play they, everywhere right and there, but there was nobody in the rooms it's just a club owner going like yeah it's not what it used to be yeah there we're going to talk about the 80s boom and maybe what that did to culture and, mm. and the culture of comedy but i think that in thinking about it there was a failure of what became known as alternative comedy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in that you know the point of view was shallow the agenda was shallow and obama created sort of an umbrella for people to sort of be like we can just do what we want and then we lost the ball yep but go back to your point about culture well, and I, comedy. I, I don't think i could have put it any better uh the culture of comedy was always this male horrible racist sexist my girlfriend's so fat asian drivers suck uh, 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 don't leave a dollar on the table when uh, black people in the front row. That 80s thing that, w- that was really prevalent when I started. Then it started to get hipper. And then, of course, like you say, the alternative boom that was, what, 20 years ago? But the, late back 90s? In the, but back in the 80s, though, we had people, and you knew people, yeah. that you know, were doing something different and doing oh, fine. No. You, know, like, you know, like Jake Johansson. I don't know yeah. what he does now, yeah. but he was like the biggest act in the world yeah. and said very little. Yeah. Uh, uh, DeGeneres, Kevin Mee, Yeah, and like San Francisco was sort of a hotbed where people went. I remember when Bobcat moved from Boston and brought the whole group and Kenny and and Dana and Kevin Meany. Right, they all eventually ended up in San Francisco where you could embrace you know whatever it is, but still there was, and this is the other problem is there's very there were very few people who were doing point of view comedy like political comedy Mm -hmm. or taking any real chances. I agree in in all that in in the male dominated thing there was still guys we liked no i just i think you're right it was a haven in those days yeah. and we were considered and of course we i think lorded it over everybody everybody was a transplant from somewhere else mostly uh, i was from the bay area but like you came and Patton came and dana came uh gould and uh, he came uh, earlier you know we uh, were we were the you know, Patton, blaine and me showed what, up with, and within weeks of each other yeah in no no dude oh no no, dude, that was like ninety two or 90. was it really? Oh yeah, it oh, was golly. By, by the time you know me and Blaine and Patton got there, you know the the well, Dana was already gigantic. Yeah, oh, he would already arced. I yeah. mean, he was already in 
Los Angeles. Oh wow! They'd all left, and yeah. and the scene in San Francisco was was uh, you know uh, had been vacated because yeah. everyone moved to L.A. So you know it was you were around. Yeah. Johnny Steele was around. Right, Steele. Uh, you know, Carlos Alzaraki was yeah. around, but that that generation of uh, old timers was gone. the The live audience at the Bennett Show was three guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of them, you know, wearing a yeah, you know, a, a, with a, like a Star Trek T-shirt, <laughs> you know. And it, it was we were operating in the the sort of fumes. Yeah, well, I but I still think, like you say, we had a point of view, and I think the big deal in San Francisco in those days was that you had to have some kind of point of view or some sort of intellect or challenge the audience in some way, whether it was intellectually. Maybe not politically, but at least intellectually. Sure, yeah, and, but it was they, they indulged it, they, and a, right? And a lot of San Francisco it. comics go on the road, not do as well on the road because comics weren't ready for concept, audience weren't ready for concepts elsewhere. Yeah. They were used to joke, 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 and the LA thing. We used to that was a big complaint from San Francisco comics that LA crowds were shallow and wanted this right. and that. Yeah, and then I tended to go to England a lot more, and then I found that going to England, I was considered slick. And, and professional, which was looked down upon because I did joke, 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 yeah, set yeah, up, no. set up, punchline, tag, tag, tag. You need to tell stories that go nowhere. Right. You needed to go. Exactly. You needed to be shambly and th- say things were shite a lot. Uh, and and uh, shite. And um, so then, but like you say about losing the ball, I really feel like the giant thrust of comedy right now with the really, really popular guys, mostly, uh, that are embracing this I'm being canceled, I'm a victim thing is completely reactive and completely reactionary Mm. and i don't find it amusing and i don't think it's very instructive comedically the comics that i always worshipped growing up were uh, uh, carlin Pryor, lily tomlin robin the people who literally were trying to give voice to other people's concerns maybe actually understand the world a little bit yeah and when you start to say that you're a victim when you've got six million listeners and you're making all this money and you're doing netflix specials and people one everything's pouring in on right. you but somehow you're being silenced yeah to me that sounds exactly like a right-wing republican saying that i'm woke you know the woke culture is what's wrong with the world yeah woke culture is nothing to me it was always a matter of manners like right. are you going to be a bully and uh-huh. stomp on homeless people and gay people or are you going to try to understand Understand that maybe with your white privilege center, you should kind of try to give a little bit of lift to the other sure. voices. But this, the age of, of sort of doubling down on bullshit mm. and, and standing for, for nothing, what I usually say is that, you know, once tolerance is removed from the equation, you know, democracy doesn't have a chance. Because if you don't buy into the idea that like, well, most people want this, I guess we got to suck it up. Yeah, uh, that's how the, the the progress is made in a democracy. Yeah, it's if it's most people want this, well, fuck them. Yeah, you know I'm not going to put up with that shit. Right. So right. then the, you know the fight is on for the heart of the nation. Yeah, which is what it is, and amplified by well, you know, we're talking about thirty, forty years ago in in our lives. Yeah, there wasn't the kind of constant flow of misinformation and the grinding, screaming but, but noise brain machine. Fucking, it's yeah. like it's not even like it's not even just misinformation or a noise machine. It's literally reconfiguring. Yeah people's perception because you know who the fuck said that the brain can handle this 
No, I know, but yeah, just by just you pick up your phone in the morning. Within ten minutes, you've dumped more shit into your brain that was ever designed to deal with, yeah. and you've got to fight for the difference between that and your perception of the world and what is really your point of view. It's very yeah. easy to erase any sense of identity with this fucking thing. I agree. It's a vortex, and also I find myself getting angry. Mm-hmm. I get on the phone and then I'm all mad because I saw somebody said something I didn't like, yeah. and it's like, well, how come that opinion's so important to me all of a sudden when I wouldn't have known about it? If I hadn't have looked at my well, phone. Yeah, but yeah, but that's the problem is like we're all, you know, kind of insecure, ego driven yeah. fuckers. Yeah. And it's sort of the idea that we're you as soon as you get away from that, you're sort of like, Do I even exist? Am I relevant? Right. Am I am I in the conversation? Yeah. Right. Because if yeah. you don't and you aren't, or you, you aren't. take a break. Yeah, it just goes away, drives away. Yeah. You yeah. miss the bus. Yeah. But I think like what I'm trying to understand as well, and, and I think I do understand it, is that in conversations I've had with people that give a shit about whatever the fuck I'm talking about, you yeah. know, primarily me and my producer, Brendan, <laughs> around trying to assess yeah. the, it, it seems that there, that what became known as alternative comedy was built on the back of a few guys, right? You're one of them. Yeah. I think Dana's one of them. Yeah. Uh, I think Patton is of a generation. I think Patton invented himself out of you yeah. know part of you. He yeah. scraped scraped some of your skin and grew it, yeah. and then you know put it on his ear, and, <laughs> and and that's part of his head now. But the sort of the culture of alternative comedy was really built by a few club comics, yeah. and it was happening in in L.A. and it was happening a little later in New York. Right. But most of us had paid our dues in comedy clubs. Yeah. But then after that, this sort of like, you know, comic produced mics and, op- and alternate comedy kind of morphed into what seemed to be a, a fairly significant, you know, cultural movement in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. you know, around, you know, Chris Hardwick was sort yeah. of the leader. But nonetheless, there's nothing to show for it. Yeah. Why did that happen? Did they stand for nothing? Do you, do, you, do you ever think about that? Or am I introducing this idea to you right the, now? That the, the alternative comedy scene tanked? Well, I I think it was a time and a place and things move on and hideously or maybe reflectively of what's going on in the larger world. Comedy doesn't stand alone any more than sports do or show business or anything like that. Uh And Obama cast, like you say, a fairy tale pall on a lot of white people and particularly the comedy world. And I had people say to me things like, I thought, I swear to you. Yeah, I thought prejudice went away because he was president and, uh, you know, kind of oblique statements like that, that look in the face of 400 years of American history and absolutely deny it because you liked someone that got elected twice. Yeah. That also, while we were being elected twice, you didn't notice that the rising tide of fascism was being fomented harder than it had. This reminds me of when we were when I was a little, little kid in the 60s, how ugly America was. The America that assassinated Malcolm X and uh, and Martin Luther King and RFK and uh, uh, the insane racism and white backlash that there was. Uh, and the revolution that happened in the 60s when I was little yeah. between young people and old people, yeah. between World War II people and Vietnam people, sure. between black and white people. between And then we were promised in the early 70s there was going to be gay rights, uh, 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 um, black rights, uh, Native American rights, La Raza. Uh-huh. Everything came to the fore and uh, everybody was being heard. Yeah. And then that Reagan thing of, oh, no, we didn't need any of that. What we needed was to think about ourselves a little more, old boy. Think about yourself a little more. And then I feel like that happened again after the alternative revolution with Janine and David and and, and everybody that was so... Dana. And Dana that was such a light 
uh, and I would go do all these sets everywhere in New York and, yeah. and, and, and Los Angeles and Chicago, San Francisco. That was the first wave, not the Kumail... Uh, right, and Jonah then, Ray. Well, yeah. then there was the after the comedy bang bang wave. Then there was the whole Kumail wave and the nerd melt right, over sure, here in Los Angeles sure. and all that, which I participated in. Yeah, me too. But it never never felt right. You it know, wasn't it wasn't my you know it was I was a guest in their awesome I generation. I felt that too, or but that's weird. But like it wasn't generational. It was really a very specific audience. You know that. Yeah, because if I think about like the 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 groove of yeah, but I get off on this history, you know, like you know Robin uh, Pearl and you know uh, you know Warren Thomas, these you know forgotten you know several forgotten heroes of 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 riff style, Uh, you know Weinhold, yeah, (laughs) Maddie, yeah, but. By the time that Nerd Melt happens, I was like, I resented that that audience was so homogenous. Yep. It was weird. It is weird. And I, I think I, I don't disagree at all. It's like, I felt like the narrowness of their point of view kind right. of rubbed me the wrong way. And also, like you say, like, for instance, and this is just completely anecdotal and yeah. shallow, but I have really no other, uh, bit, you know, redoubt. Um, I did a, a show at the Nerd Melt where I used yeah. to do the podcast. And right. Like. I did the smartest podcast, man in the world. Right. For li- I did it live for years and years and years. Now Jennifer and I do it at the crib because of the plague sort of forced yeah, that. Hand. Right. Right. The last live one I did was in San Francisco. And I love doing it all over America and Europe and all over the, literally all over the world. And then I would do it at the nerd mount and it was my least favorite audience. And I'm not just blaming the nerd mount. I'm saying like, um, a cat named Rod Temperton died, and Rod Temperton wrote um, Thriller and Off the Wall and all yeah. these great disco songs. He was in a group called Heatwave. He's a white guy from England, and yeah. he wrote all this disco. Yeah. And it happened to be the night he passed away, and I often played a lot of records on my show. Sure. So records, music, yeah. and uh, vinyl, no. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I was playing a bunch of disco songs, and the crowd literally didn't know any of them. Yeah. And I started to b- become furious with myself and the crowd, like, you really don't know any of these dance records from the last 30 years that this guy wrote who is a giant of dance music yeah. and the everything is built on this yeah. that we do now and I thought so what your phone and your computer and that's what's important to you yeah. and this weird advantage that you see happening to you in, in this crappy life you built for yourself and I don't know it, like you say it was difficult to find something to say that you didn't feel like you were one shooting over their head or two just saying shit they didn't understand at all because you were some, and some yeah and some I'm I, uncle grandpa on the mountain right, so coming. you're the old guy yeah but now they're all old and none of them do it anymore they're like no. they're, that's that's the thing is that their entire context was was manufactured mm. in this kind of little i mean i guess it was a bubble but what but but what I'm, i was talking to brendan about today was that you know, for for as long as this fascism has been percolating in America, uh. you know, like when in the '60s you you can marginalize it a bit because it was uh. the the Birchers or right. whoever the fuck it was, the the Klan, yeah. But they were really held off, yeah, they at were the margins, yeah, because most people were like, you know, we we're all sort of a uh, you know kind of hovering around the same information oasis, and we could yeah. all sort of like look across the water and go like, I know we don't agree, but this is what's happening, and we've agreed that we don't want this. But now, alongside of that, they were furious that they had no um, broader cultural identity, Mm. that the culture belonged to us. The Jews, yeah. the the progressives, <laughs> yeah. the gay people, yeah. the blacks—it yeah. it really did. Now, obviously, there are 
uh, other ethnicities that were were pushed aside by the ethnicities oh, yeah. that had uh, you know a small part of it. Yeah. And now that you know that sort of opened up a bit, but it seems that there is a big push along with the push to disregard truth in general to sort of um, hijack the culture. Yeah. That the right is spearheading this movement with people like who have who have really sunk their teeth into this anti woke yep. position, which is hackneyed, and and to this you know fear of cancellation, and that is that how. That's how they're riding into taking over the cultural, um, yep, the arts in a way. Yeah, it's super male too. Like I don't get that uh, that that's some sort of big across the board message that everyone embraces. No, it's just everybody's like, I know, right? Yeah, yeah. it's it, you know, no one's sort of like, yeah, but it's sort of like that's happening. It's all over yeah. the place. And yeah. you go to comedy clubs, but the one thing that bothers me is that we need to make sure we know the difference between a comedy show and a comedy rally. Mm-hmm. And I guess, uh, in a way, we we took a lot for granted, and a lot of us weren't, you know, a lot of the generation above us. I also think that, you know, the Jews gave up the mantle a long time ago. I don't know if it was voluntary. <laughs> right. It might have been. It might be for good. A uh, good reason. I always thought that once. You know, they introduced um, antidepressants. You know, any uh, anyone on stage complaining in a certain way, sort of like you can't. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. That's over. Yeah, maybe you ought to get help. The neuroses got yeah. kicked out of comedy. Right. There's medicine But now. it did. It, it did. It did. And neuro- neuroses is driving comedy. No, I think in, in a lot of ways, uh, things are so much better than they could ever be. And I remember saying this years ago at, to some venue in Montreal. And, and the Montreal, the person I was saying to got was really reactionary and got mad at me. They said, what's the biggest difference between comedy when you started and the biggest difference now? And I said, there's women stars, there's Asian stars, there's black stars, and there's people from the Middle East that are stars. Yeah. And that was not happening in 1982, I assure you. And they were like, oh, this is the kind of bullshit we have to stand for from liberal comics like San Francisco, like Greg Proops. And I was like, it's not, I'm not making it up. Yeah. You can look at the books. I mean, it, it, Comedy Central got so desperate to have viewers at one point that they put two Jewish women on in a comedy show. Yeah. Then they put a black guy on. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, Comedy Central was like frat city. Yeah. I mean, the right. idea that right. they would even yeah. break down and do that after, which looks in the eye of their college demo of dudes who are drinking Coronas and wearing baseball hats or yeah. whatever right. the fuck their demo was. But they seem to be around. Here's the weird thing is that like all that you're saying is true, but but it's, it's it, and, and the way show business operates now is that, you know, none of that matters. You know, no. you know people are building their own, you know, show business. You know, oh Seg- no, that's it hasn't mattered in ages. Segura, who's one of the good ones, yeah. has built his own show business. Yeah. And and then that all these uh these people, women, women of color, people of color, gay people, yeah. if you can just get your people, yep. then you go and you deal with your people. Now I, I think that's good. I guess we're up against this idea that as any sort of precedent or barometer of actual truth starts to be, you know, dismantled, yeah. you know, how is that not leaving the entire culture vulnerable to authoritarianism? I mean, that's the plan, isn't it? Yes. The plan is to uh, make objective reality and not a shared thing anymore. That the reality right. that, that you're fed is the reality that you believe. Like, for instance, you know, uh, to, to go back to being po- political. Yeah. Um, uh, there was some idiotic thing I saw on Twitter today, of course, on ABC News that said a lot of people don't believe as much as they used to that Trump 
put January 6th together and that it was a seditious coup. Right. And it's like, well, what does that mean? That a lot of people don't believe as much as they did a few months ago. Or, or yesterday. What, I mean, what, what, the, but what, they, what measure are we using here? Whether there's any measure at all, that fucking piece of clickbait yes. will go into the head and then reconfigure out you know, whatever synapses were built around right. that. Nobody knows what happened yesterday. Jesus Christ, when Will slapped Chris, people yeah. were, they were talking about it like it was the towers falling. Yeah. Like, will we ever recover? Yeah, yeah. we will. Yeah. The, the worst that could happen is we'll never have to sit through another Oscars. <laughs> Which I've never understood anyway. The, and the idea that you're supposed to hip up the Oscars and do all these weird things to well, it. Well, yeah, if they're like, going to make it look like a nightclub, get better bouncers. Right? <laughs> Also, I loved all the dancing and singing, yeah. but then when they did the, the tribute to the poor people who passed away, yeah. and there was a bunch of people that really deserved a, sure. a tribute, sure. including Ed Asner, who was skipped over completely, yeah. uh, who was actually one of the most decent, wonderful, kind human beings that was ever in show business. Sure. Uh, and then they didn't got a little dicey with the uh, you know with the inside job thing, but right. outside so, of that, sometimes, yeah. 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 But I mean, like uh, they had the dancing and the singing over that, yeah. and it was like, see, this is a moment when you might. Take just two seconds to calm down yeah. and let it be quiet. Or, or, yeah, or, quiet. or stop trying to get people excited. Uh, that's the thing. It's like you, I went to a ball game the other day, week in Canada. Oh, you're, big, you're a big ball game guy. Yeah, and yeah. I went to the ball game in Canada just to see a game, and it was fun. And the music was so loud between every batter that I had to. I was with a, our tour manager. Uh, I, I couldn't talk to him. I had to wait till the music stopped and then go blah, 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 blah. So you're supposed to be talking about stuff in yeah. a ball game, whether it's baseball or your life or whatever it's you're talking about. It's a relaxing about. afternoon. Right? The ball game. Yeah. Like, I didn't come to a baseball game to get hyped out of my mind. If I wanted to take crank and, and get wild, I would yeah. do that on my own. Like, baseball's supposed to be, at its best, boring, punctuated by moments of excitement. Yeah. It's not... A video game yeah. the whole world isn't a fucking like as much as i love keanu reeves or whatever and i think he's a nice person and a fun star yeah, yeah. the john wick movies to me are like watching uh, one of those yeah. video games where people keep sure. getting shot in the yeah. eye and stabbed in the face it's amusement park a thousand ride. times yeah, yeah. in a minute and yeah. a thousand times in a minute it's like so then they they tarred it up by having Lawrence fishburne and, and ian mcshane and yeah, yeah. halle berry whatever they threw in every character actor in the world and give it a little bit of gravity and a little bit of uh, art direction yeah, and whatnot yeah. and then they go right back to shooting people in the eye every sure, two seconds sure and you're like well this movie could have plot and character and you could actually and i feel like that's what they've done with everything with comedy with uh, 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 um, politics, oh yeah, with news, yeah. There's no if we don't agree that there's an objective reality. January sixth happened. The man who led a violent coup and he did everything he could to organize and including getting to the point where they were going to try to order armed troops to to gather up the ballots and stop the count. And all of this happened. It really didn't not happen. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't live in a van. I don't think John Lennon ordered Bigfoot yeah. to, you know. This is to... actually the truth, which is fundamentally and, and uh, spectacularly more interesting than a conspiracy theory. Yes. And whether you believe it or not, or whether ABC News wants to report that less people believe it than they did, alters the facts of it not one jot. Yeah. He threatened to kill his vice president and have him hung. We know that because we know it was reported I, that he I, said it. There were people there that were going to kill Pelosi. Yep. And kill Pence. Yes. And Mark Short, who's Pence's chief of staff, said on the day, the day before, that they were ready for action. And you know if that Pence said on the day when they hustled him into the car that he was worried about the actual Secret Service agents that hustled him into the car. And he was like, which ones are you? 
Yeah. Are you the ones who are going to give me the ride, the mafia ride? Yeah, yeah. Or are you actually going to protect me and do your job? Because we know the Secret Service was completely infiltrated by right-wing lunatics. Yeah. This isn't seven days in May with Kirk... And I went back for a reference that's so fucking old, no one will even get it. <laughs> it's a movie about the the, the government being taken but over so, by the military. But, but so what, what we're saying is that in, in retrospect, even with the January 6th yeah. commission, the panel you know, investigating this thoroughly, that most of the country has moved on. The apathetic no. people have moved on. The people no. that didn't give a shit to begin with have moved on. The right has been spinning this every oh, way yeah. they can to sort of take away any teeth out of it. Yeah. But the truth is the truth. But, you know, it, now that is such a small piece of the pie yeah. that, you know, it'll just become yesterday's news rather quickly. Mm. It doesn't matter to anybody. And all politics, political discourse has just been, uh, you know, wrestling promos. Yeah. That's and trolling. That's that's what an yeah. entire political party. That is what they are now. They are nothing but. The Republican Party exists to be an autocratic party that will take over the government and do whatever they like with it at the behest of all of their crappy masters, whether they're billionaires or Russia or whoever you yeah. want to think is calling the shots on this. Right. And they really don't have another goal. I mean, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Biebert and Paul Gozar and Matt Gates and all them, yeah. they don't exist uh, as politicians. Yeah. They're uh, uh, trolls. Yeah, they're, they're not there to enact legislation. But then having said that, neither are Mitch McConnell and all the big lights of the party, the leading leaders the of the party. Fuckers, yeah. Kevin McCarthy, them, Grassley, whoever you want to say, uh, 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 Graham, um, Cruz, whatnot. They're not there to enact policy either. They're there to obstruct policy. Um, it's horrible to come back and think that the book that I read in eighth grade 1984 contained so many profound truths and that Orwell knew everything about fascism having fought against the fascists in Spain and then watched England go from what he perceived at the beginning of the war as an anti-fascist nation yeah. to a nation that completely embraced fascism yeah. and had identity cards and were stopping people on the street by the the late 40s and, and now there is sort of an element of of actual horrible fear to it in that you know, somebody in a militia, you know, you know, uh, you know, hogtied a fucking yep. judge. Yes. In what, Wisconsin, was yeah. it? Yeah. And is, and and executed him. Yeah. And he had a list. And with all this, you know, the sort of gun violence is that, you know, I had somebody, you know, I'm doing this new joke mm -hmm. that like I, I, I sort of showcase for everybody to make sure no one else was doing it, even though there was only a handful of people that would even really consider doing it. Yeah. And it's just a bit that, you know, I'm referring I'm trying to 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 rebrand um, the pro-choice approach to sort of, you, you know, uh, to to maybe get Christians to look at it differently. And I, I think abortion clinic is, you know, it's medical, yeah. and it's scary. But if we call them uh, angel factories. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I brought that up on the podcast the other day yeah. just because I want to make sure that I, I have yeah. it and I'll, I'll burn it out because I'm so excited about saying it. Right. But some woman just tweets this sort of, I, I, I wouldn't do that. You remember what happened to Kathy Griffin. So now there's this. I think oh, that's, right. Like, you're supposed to be afraid. to Right, man. The, the fear like, of you saying your truth is going to get you banned or put on a no-fly list or someone's going to physically threaten you. Well, yeah, but it, but the right specifically, like, yeah. I, you know, like you can get, you know, in trouble anyway yeah. if you, you, you know, if you do something inappropriate and you know if you if you use language that offends people there will be consequences you mm -hmm. can use it you know most of the people that get canceled you know it's usually for sexual impropriety it's not yeah. because they said something oh no it's never because they said something you know i mean they might get some flack yeah and that passes exactly or it makes you more famous 
Sure. And and most of us are, are just sort of like, we just want to do our little thing. Yeah. You know, we, you know what I mean? And and I think that a lot of what we were talking about in that alt comedy world, in that alt comedy space, which is just sort of elevating goofiness and pushing the, the limits of sketch, mm-hmm. um, you know, it represents some sort of creative freedom, but it is not this idea of comedy speaking truth to anything. No. And it's not the, and that was always only a few people. Yeah. But the problem is, is the the other comics, the guy, they've co-opted that entire model yeah. as, as you know, you got to look to the comics to guide us through. No, you, you do? Yeah, no. They never have. Even the ones that you're referring to didn't guide anyone anywhere. No. <laughs> I always think of Peter Cook's line when someone said, can comedy change people's thoughts politically? And he said, yeah, look what the Weimar Cabaret did in stopping Nazi Germany. Well, that's the other thing that scares me about how, you know, when you get the truth untethered and that so much of how they're characterizing trans culture mm -hmm. uh, and and a lapse in morals is how the Nazis characterized what was happening in Germany. No question. It's absolutely analogous. I was saying to Jennifer today, you know, they're starting to demonize starting. They're as bad as they were at any point in American history. And that's the other thing that. I think your our little progressive friends need to understand. Yeah. It's not worse now than it ever was. It's the same as it it's was out. in the th- yes, it's yeah. out. Yeah. It's the same as it was in the 30s, it's the same as it was in the late 50s and early 60s, it's the same as it was in the late 40s and early 50s when they were chasing people down for being communist. It's just the obverse of that. Instead of oh my god, you're on Russia's side, now Russia's the side that's calling those shots, that's yeah. pointing fingers at everyone. Right. You're a a a, a groomer because you're a liberal. You're a, a pedophile because you're a liberal. You uh, uh, want to, ch- what is it? Transfer blood to children and you have a chip in your head. Yeah. And you don't believe that China invented a, a, a virus that to make everyone, you know, yeah, all yeah. these. Oh, yeah, sure. They've mainstreamed crazy conspiracy theories. But America has w- always been a crazy conspiracy theory. If you were alive in any other century than sure. this and you weren't a white guy, and I think it's a real return to like, that awesome 19th century robber baron, like we get to sexually assault anyone we want, we get to enslave anyone we want, we get to own everything we want, we get to threaten everyone with guns all the time and limit everyone else's use of guns, which is what the 19th century was, and had how many slave owner presidents who absolutely were staunch advocates of that. Yeah. This is who we are. Yeah. The whole thing about saying... That's what it was built on. Yeah, this isn't who we are. It is who we are. It's it's realizing that objective truth is an important thing and that um, comics who push the whole I'm being pushed to the side, how come I can't get my opinion thing seem to me be ludicrous. I always say on stage, when will white guys be heard from? That's what I want to know. <laughs> when finally in America will white guys be given a voice to say what we believe? Yeah. How come we're always shunted to the side? Yeah. Uh, the idea that white guys haven't had the mic for 450 years is ludicrous. And that's why when you're talking about all these guys who you're supposed to bring that libertarian thing and that's supposed to be the cause that we're all supposed to rally behind because they're getting down with the truth and they're really letting you know what's what is absolute and complete, complete fucking yeah, nonsense. But also, but challenging everything with, with nothing. Yes. So, and, and that to me is the, the bigger crime of it is that if your point of view when somebody tells you something is like, no, 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 dude. Yeah. Like that, all that does is create this pervasive doubt. And yeah. when, when you do have valid sort of information, you're like, that sounds crazy to me. And right. so you've got a bunch of guys that couldn't think that well anyways, mm-hmm. who think that now they've, they're on the pulse of the secret information and yep. that there, look, there's a lot of bullshit out there and there always has been. But I think 
I guess what I'm coming around to right now is that the one thing we did have was some sort of common sense of country, Mm -hmm. which is like, that's completely broken. I feel like that the tribalization of stand-up, which is sort of happening, Mm. you know, obviously all of us can get our little audiences and we can do what we want to do, but there is- We all have our little kingdoms and duchies. Something something very, you know, weird and and, uh, servicing of, you, you know, this- current authoritarian momentum is happening well and this will also make me sound like the most parochial self-absorbed comic that i've always been um <laughs> but you said things yeah I, <laughs> I, i've always tried to have some content in my act and that yeah. the thing is i found like i thought after two years of being trapped in home uh, like everyone else and all the comics were too mostly although as pointed out to me by several people um covid really only existed on the west coast <laughs> And in New York. Um, COVID didn't exist in the Midwest or in Texas or anywhere else because they didn't allow it to exist. Florida. just denied. Definitely not in Florida. Like I was in Winnipeg of all places a couple days ago. And it's on the prairie and it's a lovely place and the people are really nice. It's a little, it's a little, the weather's a little rough on Winnipeg. Uh, They told us that last winter there were six foot tall snowbanks on the side of the road and that it was the worst winter they'd ever had. And I thought, well, never mind. keep on electing conservatives because they're going to really help you out here. The last premier they had in uh, Manitoba had to resign and um, he took, he took off and they put in another conservative PM. His name was uh, Pallister. He resigned and uh, he Manitoba, which has no people had the second highest COVID rate in all of Canada. Yeah. The people I mean, that they did have. Yeah. And so, and he said the, 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 the biggest moment of his life, I'm only using this illustratively, uh, that, that put him on the road to politics in his point of view, was that he met a guy and the guy didn't have a job and was on government assistance. And the guy said, well, what are you going to do for me? And he went, I'm going to kick your ass and make you go to work. And it's like, that is the oldest, saddest, most bullshit story. One, it never happened. Two, yeah. if it did happen, who cares? Yeah. And three, stop using that. It's like saying the good guy with the gun. We have all these uh, uh, lies that keep floating around that people will not stop giving airtime to. Yeah. And, you know, the the general media that we're not on, and this is why I always loved the freedom of podcasts and having our own yeah. duchy, is like what you said years ago at Montreal. I don't need you anymore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They, they, the, the mainstream media, whatever. Uh, uh, Show business. And it is, yeah. yeah. They're not run by people who are thinking, I really need to serve the public good. Yeah. As much as an oil company or an arms company or anything, yeah. profit yeah. and growth. Profit and growth are sure, driving sure. what's the narrative. Yeah, even the ones that were there to serve the public good, like, you know, like uh, 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 PBS or, or or better yet, like uh, oh, lo- local access. Yeah. That's what it looks like when you give the... <laughs> It totally does. It, it's, There's a it, guy with a fruit basket on it, his head. It's beautiful, but you yeah. know, uh, yeah. Well, I, I, well, you know, after two years of watching uh, uh, the George Floyd case and yeah. watching police for what they are, which is an extension of the slave patrols of the 19th century. And I've been doing a joke for years that's never got a laugh, but I keep doing it because I like it. <laughs> still and I'll go about guns. And I've been talking about guns since the 90s. I've yeah. been talking about abortions. And yeah. All these topics for since I didn't really need to talk about them. And then now, of course, oh my God, they're so salient. Um, And the joke was uh, uh, men invented guns to shoot people they're afraid of and to have uh, the police shoot the poor at the behest of the rich. And crowds always go, oh. Yeah. 
And it's like, I know it's not a particularly funny joke. I could have rephrased it. Sure. Or as Jennifer always says, when you're trying to sell that kind of fucking crank, yeah. do a funny voice. Well, yeah, do a funny voice or, or give one more tag. There's yeah, gotta be one more one tag. More tag. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, but it's the truth. The, yeah. the police exist kind of to keep, keep everybody down. And now we've seen what they really want, which is to be an independent entity that doesn't answer to anyone at any point. And not just do they don't answer to people, they specifically don't answer to the public that they're entrusted to serve. That is really in their craw right now. They don't want to help the public because they don't perceive the public as someone that needs helping they perceive them as someone who's trying to keep them from doing what they need to do whatever that is which is whatever that is right and you know like people are going to get on me and go like oh my god you're blaming the police for everything i'm not blaming the police for everything the police are another cog in the gigantic wheel that's been rolling for a million years the country was built this way the country was never built to be a fair democracy the country was determined to not be but what has happened as you said was after obama yeah the idea of a black president, and then literally after Biden, who, by the way, got more votes than anyone ever got, except maybe Obama. Yeah. And then Hillary got the second most votes. So the idea that we're all Nazis is ludicrous. Yeah. And this is, by the way, the only the third of the people that vote. Yeah. So it was 80 million yeah, everybody. people. Yeah. Yeah. That really didn't want a Nazi in the White House. Yeah. So a black president followed by a black woman vice president. That is progress that is identifiable quantitative measurable progress the people that are like how come they're not doing more for me yeah how come my student loan is sleepy yeah how come everything in the world didn't get fixed in two seconds well you're talking about a quarter of the presidents of the united states owned other human beings so to shake that takes a little bit longer than one black president who was really articulate who i'm almost certain was threatened his life was threatened every single day maybe 20 times a day of his administration why didn't michelle obama want to run for office i don't get it maybe she didn't want to be threatened every second of the goddamn day they probably had to have an entire office just fielding the validity of threats Uh uh-huh had to the validity of threats uh-huh. meaning the overwhelming wash of threats yeah 10% of them maybe were the, we, or well, whatever percentage we, we, we got to be worried about this one look yeah. into this one but that's the other obstacle to what we're talking about yeah. as well is the fear of 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 being terrorized yes which and, is also an authoritarian tool that seems to be happening reflexively because so many of these young men who have you know nothing to show for themselves yeah. and are furious yeah. but really good at computers have been co-opted to to sort of troll ideologically and misogynistically mm-hmm. and and keep the terror fucking going. Yep. And terror is a giant tool. It's not a group of guys uh, uh, who are Muslims plotting in a room somewhere. Uh, we've managed to cast terror 20 years ago as this very specific item. And, you know, not to go through all the 7 million states of terror, but state-sponsored terror is a giant thing, but also white supremacist terror is probably the biggest threat and has been ever, always in this history of the country. There really wasn't another threat that was ever bigger than white supremacist terror. And if you can go to Weaver Ridge, whatever, um, I think you'll find the Civil War was... Basically, white supremacist terror. Sure. They didn't want the country to have, you know, any kind of equality whatsoever. And they were willing to burn the place to the ground. And then after Reconstruction, when they went back to it, willing to burn it to the ground again, again. And, they, and like I say, by the 60s, when I was little and Lyndon Johnson, who I think and Biden and Obama, of course, 
uh, uh, the most significant presidents of our lifetime. Obama was hamstrung because he couldn't do everything that he wanted to do. And if he had done, the media would have shit on it immediately and the Republicans would have stuffed him. For instance, when we knew that Trump was being supported by the Russians, yeah. Obama went to McConnell and said, I'd like to talk about this to the public. And McConnell said, if you do, I'll politicize this and make it seem like you're being mean to me. Whatever civil rights gains there were in the mid-60s, which took forever to get to, and required an asshole strongman like Johnson to ram through. Let's be honest. He yeah. had the Senate, he had the Congress, he had the courts at that point. Yeah. For a brief shining moment, the court was actually thinking about everybody. Yeah. So when everybody goes, oh my God, I can't believe the court's so right wing. The court was never not right wing. The idea that there are three women on it and that there's going to be a black woman, a Jew, and a, and a Latin woman on the court is unbelievably cool. Yeah. I, I don't want people to look at the dark side of everything. I no, refuse I to be I like completely it. gloomy about everything. Well, all you're the time. you're, in, you're uh, not unlike Obama, an incrementalist. I, and, and I'm absolutely an incrementalist, and I'm and I'm also I never sell gloom. Like on my podcast, I've never sold it. Things are as shit as they can be. Obviously, I do, but, I don't sell gloom. I sell dread. Well, obviously, Mark, <laughs> I've known you for far too long. Dread and, and, and the fear of what could be going wrong. Sure, sure, yeah. But again, that's a, a, a Jewish point of view. It's go. not so much a matter of everything that's going right. It's what could fucking yeah, happen. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah, the big but. Yeah, yeah, the, you yeah, know. Yeah. So I like to look at the, um, they've put a black woman on the Supreme Court. That wasn't going to happen when I was little. There's a black woman vice president. That wasn't going to happen when I was little. We've had a black president for eight years who not only was articulate, intelligent, uh, won a Nobel Prize and was wildly popular. Yeah. Um, uh, won two overwhelming victories. Um, doesn't that mean anything to anyone? Everybody stopped Clearly with the did. fucking... Look at the backlash. Right? The backlash <laughs> was what happened after, you know, the 60s when all of a sudden the, the absolute selfishness and centering... Uh, uh, well, I was watching the Beatles movie on the plane the other day, Hard Day's Night, and there's a hilarious scene. If you've seen, I don't know if you're younger listeners, Hard Day's Night is a hilarious, it, right when the Beatles were Beatlemania. Yeah. So now they're gigantic. Yeah. And so it's a, literally almost a, it's a comedy movie and it was written, but it's a, literally kind of a mockumentary about what their lives were like over sure. the course of a couple of days. They're being chased from right. gig yeah, to yeah, gig. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. don't have a moment to themselves. The media misconstrues everything they say. Yeah. They're misunderstood by everybody in the sure. movie. All they want to do is have fun and be yeah. themselves. Yeah. And they can't because, oh my God, yeah, they've got ever, a, Everyone's all over. There's a deadline and there's a thing and a thing and a thing. And George wanders into an advertising uh, thing in the TV studio and there's a sexy girl there and they and they mistake him for a teenager and they bring him into the room and the, the ad guy goes um, I'd like your opinion on some things right and he doesn't know he's a beetle and the guy behind him actually says which I'd never noticed in the movie before mouths to him that's George Harrison like that and yeah. the guy ignores that completely shows him a bunch of shirts says, talks about this girl they've got on TV and she goes, he's a trendsetter. And George goes, she's a drag. She's a well-known drag. And he goes, listen, uh, Ducky, I'll tell you what's what. The new thing is to care passionately and be right wing. And that's a joke from 1964. Huh. <laughs> wow. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, is the is it not the new the thing is to be passionate, care passionately and be right wing? They would never characterize it that way. But like right wing people think they're really fighting the power. Like somehow there's this ultimate other power yeah, that's keeping that? them down. That's that's George the government uh, again. Another code word for Jews, George Soros, yeah, of course, who, yeah. who, who I've met, who escaped the Nazis, by yeah, the way. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, not that I'd met him and like we're buddies or anything. Right, right, he right. didn't like write me after or anything. <laughs> I, I sent him a mezuzah. Um, <laughs> Did he? No. <laughs> but like, the, I, the, it's never not been there. Uh, no. Uh, yeah. Obviously. And, yeah. And, and I just feel like everything goes in a big cycle. Obama being elected. Not the was, environment. No. Yeah, no. The, no. Else. The environment is headed for <laughs> absolute screeching. But as Jennifer said to me last night, if you remember that awesome Carlin routine where he talked about plastic bags, yeah. and he goes. Maybe um, we're a little ego mad, as I'm paraphrasing madly. Uh, We as humans have this gigantic focus on ourselves. Maybe we were sent here to create plastic bags. So the paradigm wasn't people. The paradigm was people with plastic bags. And that the plastic bags are meant to be part of this whole. And she's like, "Um, maybe the whole global warming thing was like, the earth and the universe didn't give a shit whether we were here or not. Sure. The dinosaurs were here way longer than we were and they got wiped out repeatedly. Yeah. And no one like goes, oh shit. Yeah, how'd I that feel, happen? I feel bad. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and no one's going to mourn us when yeah. we're gone. I mean, maybe mm. there'll be like a movie about it on planet Xantar or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> on planet Bezos. <laughs> 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 Our egos. But I mean, the, you know, Biden got elected and kind of a landslide, let's be honest. The uh, media would never call it that. Having a black woman vice president is the biggest thing in American history. It really is. I mean, objectively. And it's like it's completely marginalized uh, by, by marginalized. the media, by everybody. And everybody, oh, she does this, she does that. She smiles too much. She laughs too much. She's too smart. She's too pretty. Whatever the problem is. All it literally that, is the biggest moment you could yeah. possibly think of. No woman's ever been in the executive office, ever. Yeah. yeah. In 250 years, and there's never been a woman there. And for it to be a black woman from San Francisco, yeah. who was the... Uh, Should be nothing but celebrated in a way, but it's been completely just sort of... Shot upon by yeah. both sides. Yeah, by both sides. And, yeah. and that to me, like, so there's some of the objective reality that, I, and I know everyone's going to come in like, well, Greg, you like her, but I don't like her because she was a cop. She wasn't a cop. She was an attorney, a district attorney and yeah, attorney general. All of a sudden, these people that were, you know, once placated by, by ceremony uh, are, are obsessed with nuance and none of it's positive. Thank you. Yeah. And if, if you are upset with police, which I am, um, look at the law breaking that went on for four years before. If there was anything you really required of the government now, it would be maybe to enforce some laws sure. to keep, oh, I don't know, Jared Kushner and Steve yeah, Bannon. Yeah. and yeah. Turns Roger out Stone. norms are, they're, you know, you know, handshakes don't hold. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That we, built the, we built the government so that it was a gentleman's agreement that they yeah, wouldn't do yeah. these things. No good. And, yeah. Yeah. No, we threw. But uh, so anyways, I think what we have uh, figured out <laughs> Is that uh, I was really glad you brought up the comedy because I was afraid it was going to go that way thinking about before I came over and then you did go that way and I'm really appreciative that you did Mark because I know we both have a really strong opinion about the state of comedy because it really does you and I care about comedy and we care about having a voice in comedy and to see it get co-opted and to be this reactive thing that's a male thing and the victimization that comes with being a man which is disgusting to me and doesn't promote comedy at all and I'm not saying that all the comics of the past were better or any of that bullshit I think that there's been massive improvement you go to a club now like I I tried to not work with anyone but women for the last three or four years in clubs and I said to my management I don't want two guys on the bill with me talking about pornography for half an hour before I get up. I want women. (laughs) And it almost always worked. And then still clubs, still clubs would go, in a big city, 
We, we couldn't find two women for the bill this week. Yeah. Like there's not any women in every big city to be. Well, yeah. I, and I also think what, what, what we're talking about, too, on, and in some ways is positive, is that, you know, with a, a multitude of voices, mm. you know, it, 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 it creates, you know, so many different points of view. Yeah. What I'm taking from this is that, uh, that there is uh, amazing things happening. And that uh, you know, not that they're going to save us, but but let's not let's not um, disregard that. I wouldn't at all. I, I would yeah. say the what the thing to do is fight, fight, fight. Uh, it, not every moment you have to take a breath. And obviously, I get depressed as anyone else. Uh, uh, I have enough Semitic heritage to understand that the, the depression is the, <laughs> yeah, right. the normal state of mankind. But yes. that uh, unless you're going to get up and do something, whining about shit on social media is not really the most constructive. This is the culture of yammering yeah. and grievance. And I do it as much as anyone sure. else, but I also try to organize, like I take my little who's line group and we're all right guys and gals yeah. for the most part. And, and we do little benefits for different states. We're doing one uh, on the 12th for uh, uh, Michigan, yeah. the Democratic Party. And we yeah. did one a month ago for Wisconsin. And then I do like Sister District, which is the down ballot things with a bunch of comics. Sure. I did one a couple months ago with Hofstadter and Cleveland. Yeah. And like, as a comic, what can you do? I can't. I, it's annoying for comics to get up and proselytize. Sure. But to do a comedy benefit. Yeah. It seems to me a constructive way to, to kind of stem the, stem the tide of fascism and also get people who like, we're not going to talk about politics for an hour. We're going to jerk around and sometimes talk about it. There'll be p politicians on the show. Yeah. And then they'll have to be fun too. And yeah. we can talk about. But I mean, you've got to kind of feed people uh you know candy syrup sure uh, and, sure. and and also and, and do just that raise some sort of interest you yeah know? everyone gets sort of uh you know uh there's a tsunami of fucking bullshit that comes out of the thing in your hand that kind of annihilates anyone's sense of what taking real action is you know myself yeah, yeah. voting is real action Absolutely. it really is i did i did it yeah, and I do it, but uh, but so funny. The difference between me and you during the pandemic is when, when, when during the downtime, mm. like uh, I felt a, a sort of uh, re relaxation, like you know, no one was doing comedy, yeah. and and I realized, like you know, like I don't miss it. And then yeah. there's the next thought was like, maybe I'm all better. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I mean, I, the thing I loved was spending a load of time with my wife. Yeah, because. I mean, we do anyway, but I mean, I've been on the road for 125 years and that's the nature of our yeah. relationship. She knew it going in. Yeah. And uh, How uh, is she? She's quite well, thank you. She okay. says hi, by the oh, way. Uh, I didn't want her to sit outside, so yeah, I, I would have brought her back. <laughs> and I yeah. said, I bet Mark wouldn't have made you sit outside. He would have yeah. let you be in the studio. Well, you say hi back. Yeah, I will. Uh, no, Jennifer asked for you. And and my and by the way, so did Lee, my manager. Um, oh, and, how's uh, that guy doing? Yeah, he's quite well. Uh, one of one of the, the, the real menches yeah. in- uh, Old school uh, Brillstein Gray. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, what was his company called? I can't remember. Uh, uh, his Now his new one is- uh, I Wasn't he at Brillstein Gray? Yeah, he was at Brillstein for ages and ages. And then he was someplace before that. I can't was remember where he was before. The, I hooked up with him like, oh my God, like 2006. Yeah. So we've been together a long time. But he's an honest guy, which yeah. is really uh, like Diogenes. You can search the world with a lamp looking for a, a manager in show business that yeah. literally won't lie to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, not that he hasn't, of course, sure. to save my feelings, but sure. that's just sure. politics, sure. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, like I didn't, I enjoyed spending time with my wife during it, uh, and I did a bunch of Zoom shows. Uh, wow, I didn't do any of those. Uh, yeah, and then, but of course, once we got back on the road, then, like... Feels good, right? 
one and two, you know, you know when you're in your 30s, you're yeah. like, it's all going to last forever and all this. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not like getting into a philosophical thing here, but I really try to slow time down a little bit when I'm on stage sure. now. Or, oh, or yeah. At I'm... least when the show's over and they're applauding. And now I'm in a group, so we sing and we dance. There's no politics. There's some yeah, yeah. light-ass politics. In you the know? riffs. Yeah, because it's improv. Yeah. You can't stop the show and go, yeah. fascism needs to be destroyed, because that's not funny <laughs> in an improv show. Instead, you're going to go, my knob is going inside. <laughs> you like a donut or whatever and those are the hilarious because <laughs> sure. you know how improv is it. it's yeah. so lifting and yeah. illuminating <laughs> yeah yeah as british people say why not prepare for something funny yeah and uh so but at the end of the show you know we sing and we dance sure. and we lay on top of each other we literally lay on top of each other and do vaudeville yeah and there's something freeing in that kind of like playing for kids yeah like when i was on a kid show for a couple of years people were like didn't it feel like weird to be in a kid show no, because we performed in front of a live audience for kids. Yeah. Five-year-olds don't bullshit you. Yeah. Five-year-olds <laughs> yeah, don't go, yeah. oh, listen, Greg, that was really terrific, really great point of view, really interesting stuff. Kids go, boo, you suck. Yeah. And then yeah. I remember we'd do like a physical gag on the show and kids would go, oh my God. Like, and you'd be like, I got you. You're six and I got you. I made you laugh by falling over. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like that's a, a, like you when we were little and you'd yeah. see the Stooges or-, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or uh, And you could do that with grownups, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. So- when we do the improv show, when we take our bow at the end and sometimes they stand and it's really nice, I I try to be in the moment and yeah, think, man. this is what we're doing. Everything in comedy isn't to elevate yeah. discourse sure. to the highest level. Clowning is really important too because people, and having said that, the horrible point I was going to make about during the Prague, all these people went through the greatest social upheaval of our lifetime. Yeah. Mass death and, and a complete reckoning about race again for the billionth time in America. Yeah. And they came out of it talking about their careers. Yeah. People yeah. came back to stand up, went right back to the same crappy shit that they were doing two years before. Right. And to me, I was like, really? That was where we got with this? And then, of course, I made an album. And there's an epic bit about ZZ Top on it, okay. which I, <laughs> I played for my producer and Jennifer, and they laughed at it. And then yeah. I'm like, all right, it can go on the album. Because yeah. I thought, I'm being the most self-indulgent piece of shit yeah. that ever walked the face of the earth. But I think there was a trauma pocket, too, that, that there, there still is this sense culturally i don't think anyone it's going to take a long time to reckon with that yeah. that there is a ptsd to it all oh and yeah. that uh, that you know to be you know terrified that you're going to die from an airborne thing that there's no cure for for over a year yeah. day to day i mean it's you know but anyways it was good talking to you yeah it was really nice to be on thank you for having me on man i really appreciate it we haven't talked in a long time i know i love you buddy meet you buddy i love you Greg Proops, what a pleasure. That we, I think we covered some stuff, didn't we? We got into it. Greg's new album, Greg Proops in the City, is out now. You can get it at gregproops.com or wherever you get music. Go to wtfpod.com uh, slash tour to check out the dates. Here's a little guitar, just another take on the same old shit. Enjoy.
Boomer lives. Monkey in the Fonda. Cat angels everywhere. <laughs>